leader. Flex and Frooms. Flex and Frooms. This is the Flex and Frooms Catch-Up Podcast. Welcome back to Cater. We are Flex and Frooms. And as I always say when we interview guests on our show, we don't often have guests. It's a little bit of a rare occurrence. And we save these instances for very special people, VIPs. And today in our midst, we have Linda Mariano. Welcome, Linda. The, to the VIP. Studio. Wow. I feel extra, extra, extra honoured as a fan of Flex and Frooms. And the end, I am just, I'm honoured to be here. And the end. Well, we realise that your name mm. is a mix of our names. So my real name is Lucinda Lillian's. So I'll let you speak for yourself. My real name is Lillian. And yours is? Linda. Actually, my real name is Karma Linda. Okay. I was trying to figure this out when I was reading a book because you... Oh, yes, yes. Because I refer to my nonna, so my Italian grandmother, mm. as being the person that I'm named after and her being Nonna Carmelinda. So, yes, my real name is Carmelinda. She was hoping you'd connect that dot. Carmelinda, you ever go by Carmelinda? You know what? I actually I went by it when I lived in London for a few yeah, years. Yeah, nice. You know, just change persona. Extra. Yeah, different postcode, mm-hmm. different persona. People called me Carmelinda a lot. And then my nonna would call me it every now and again because she would tell the people at the nursing home that I was named after her. It yeah. was a very sweet kind of lineage moment. Clouty. Oh, yeah, no, no, I mean, yeah. It was definitely yeah. clouty. It yeah. must be done. It yeah. must be done. Before yeah. her, there was me. Yeah. <laughs> but we're here to discuss your book, Love Languages. Has it just come out? It has just come out. Very nice. exciting. And in it, you speak about people pleasing, Mm. you discuss your relationships, you talk about your grandparents Mm. um, and on the cover is a spaghetti that's like a plait. It is. It's like a little plait of hair. Yes. Nice. We gave the manuscript to the amazing like cover art designer, a really cool designer from Melbourne called Akiko Chan. She read it and then she kind of got inspired because I described my dad being a hairdresser, plaiting my hair really tightly oh. to go to school, always doing my hair when I was growing up, and then the idea of my family's love language also being food. Mm. So she's the genius. Shout out to her. But I did see it and I went, that's the one. Yeah, nice. That's she's done one. it perfectly. Nailed it. Carby wig. It's a carb wig? Oh, like a carb, carb wig. Up. Oh, no. <laughs> Look, it's a lot. It's been a long day. Is that someone's name? I'm not going to try and repeat it. I have a bad track record. (laughs) Anyway, there we go. Uh, Great, great. I'll see you later. Processing speed was just catching up. It's, not, it's that sort of prose you can look forward to in all 300 pages of the book. No, but Linda, so I didn't get my hands on a copy until today, and I did read some before we started today, and I loved it. I love your way of speaking. It's very much in your tone. I can imagine you oh, writing you. it, which is thank such you. a pleasure to read. Um, and I was running from my own perspective. When you talk about people in a book, how does that work? Like, do you have to tell people they're in the book? What's that process? Oh, Mm. this is hard. This is actually a very good question because this was one of the things where if you fixate on it, it derails the story. It waters down the actual story that you need to tell. And it took me a good few months to actually realise that because I'd sit there and I'd know the kind of seed of what the book and what the foundation needed to be. And I knew what scenes and kind of phases from my life that I really wanted to include. And I found that I would get really distracted sometimes trying to write 
the crap out of a scene and really do the scene and do the behaviour that was going on and, like, interrogate my actions and what my experience was. But if there was this thing in my brain going, but your boyfriend's mum's going to read this or Uh. your ex-boyfriend's going to read this and he's going to know it's about him, you know, all of those little things, what they kind of did was they build like a wall inside you that's your inner critic Mm -hmm. that tells you stop doing it, don't write it, it's not good enough, it's not the story you're allowed to tell. And I really had to learn to ignore a lot of that in order to write the best version of what the story needed to be and then pick it apart and go, that bit's great, that bit can probably be left out, but the main thing was focusing and just writing the story that it needed to be and also keeping in mind that it was about me and kind of picking myself apart as opposed to picking apart the other really like just characters that pop up throughout your life that play a part in why you behave the way that you behave. And then in terms of whether you give those people the heads up, it's kind of to your own discretion. Like there are, there were certain people that I was really concerned about, you know, mm. my mum being one of them, certain members of my family, and I made sure to communicate that with with them before the book came out. I sent a couple of texts giving people a heads up. <laughs> important, and, you know. Important. It's generally fine. Change names goes a long way. Yeah, totally. And I like what you th- what you say about it being part of your story and interrogating your own actions. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. it was there was this line that I'd read that was in kind of top tips for memoir non-fiction writers and it was like be really be as harsh and cruel to yourself as the main character as you want and be really kind and conservative mm. to the other people that you involve in your scenes. And I just had to keep that in mind every time I was writing and be really purposeful and have an intent as to why I was including every single scene. There's plenty to talk about, but specifically I want to talk to you about this cool girl archetype that comes Mm. up a bit throughout the book, but just in life generally. That brings me to the cool girl uh, monologue, which if you don't know, you might have heard it in Gone Girl. The quote starts with, men always say that as the defining compliment, don't they? She's a cool girl. Being the cool girl means I'm a hot, brilliant, funny woman who adores football, poker, dirty jokes and burping, who plays video games, drinks cheap beer, loves threesomes. And redacted, redacted, and jams, hot dogs, and hamburgers into her mouth like she's hosting the world's biggest culinary gang, redacted, while somehow maintaining a size too because cool girls are above all hot. Period. The problem with the cool girl archetype is that it is above all a fantasy. Yes, there are some girls that exist who fit very neatly into this category, like Froomey, a cool girl in our midst. But for the most of us who've had experience being the cool girl, it's a performance done for a very specific reason, to be picked, plucked, chosen. This is exactly essentially what I'm working out in the book and unlearning. It is the nature of performing. And for me, it was when the mics were on and the mics were not on in my love life, in my career, Mm. in my family life, as a daughter, as a girlfriend, as an everything. It was the performative nature of that. It was lending itself into people pleasing. It was exactly as you said, the cool girl never being angry, Mm. always being understanding, Mm -hmm. always striving to be seen as an unflappable, perfect, cool, flawless being. And there's one scene even in the book that where I describe a night out that something horrendous happens and instead of me acting authentically in any way, 
I'm standing out on a street swallowing everything down and trying to have a composed conversation when all I want to do is actually break down. Mm. And it's like there is a mirror above me where I'm looking at the way that I'm acting in a way that is hideously self-aware, hideously self-aware to the point where I will never let myself crack because I can see how I look from the outside and I'm like, I am not going to let that composure crack for anyone because I'm an amazing presenter and I know how to turn it on. Scrutinised by your own worst enemy. If I can handle her, (laughs) If I can handle her, I am not cracking for you, you little prick. (laughs) It's It's not happening. So that is like the core theme of what love language sort of is about and this feeling that I'm serving all of these other people to keep up this persona of, oh, I'm perfect, I've got Mm. it under control and I know what I'm doing. Since writing the book and putting it out there, have you allowed yourself more leeway to kind of be more authentic to how you feel, like a bit more warts and all? What's your relationship De- to yourself? Definitely. The process was was already starting to happen in the kind of years or two like leading up to the book, but then actually uh, being forced to kind of analyse myself and, and why I behave the way that I behave and kind of where it's come from, and a lot of that was around family and just my general character and what I kind of took on and took with gusto into the world as an adult, I finally learnt how to read my own room, if that Mm. makes sense, which is actually a really hard thing to do because we spend so long reading what the room wants you to be every certain hour of the day when you step into whether you are a presenter or whatever role that you have as your job or as a mum or whatever. It's taken me a while, but I'm finally able to speak up to the people that I care about particularly because I still take pride in, you know, if I'm feeling a bit crap, turning up to work and doing a really good job. But the line is crossed when I've got a friend saying, how are you really? And I'm going, I'm fine. Meanwhile. Um, meanwhile. The cracks are forming. The cracks my have, spirit the is cracks eroding. have formed. I'm my brain is out <laughs> on the highway 40 kilometres away. But it's also what you said before, and I guess what I was saying earlier as well, this idea of at one point you're acutely aware that it's a performance and then it's not. And then you don't know where the performance starts and stops or when it's appropriate to perform where it's not. And you're just a caricature of yourself, mm. which is beneficial but then you realise in order to get back to the core, I need to break down the caricature because I can't just like look behind the ear and like behind the finger now to find the real me. I just no. got to like crack open the sternum. It bubbles away because that performance, when you start to lose sight of like what your actual needs are, what actually makes you happy and you're making all these decisions based on, oh, well, what is like Lillian actually? Oh, she wants me to meet her for lunch. Oh, I'll meet her for lunch, Mm. you know, just all of those little things from really minute decisions to how long you stay in a relationship, how long you stay at a job, all of those things affect your decision making. Mm -hmm. And like the sooner we learn that lesson, the better we sleep at night. And don't you think in addition Mm -hmm. to it affecting your decision making, you start to erode at your own self-trust because you're like, well, how can I trust that I'm making the right decision or I know exactly who I am in this moment or I did what I thought the real me would want? You've got to build it all from scratch. Yeah. Everyone's like, you're being different. You're being, you're not the same. You're like, yeah, babe. I don't know who's in here anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure. (laughs) It's hard, I think. Because you said it, it is harder for women as well because we are so told from a young age that we do have to be kind of 
presentable and easygoing. It's one thing to be easygoing and then it's one thing to never stand up for yourself. Yep. And and I think figuring out what that line is for me has been a real lesson. Do you know what the line is? I think the line is when I'm saying yes to stuff that I don't actually want to do and mm-hmm. I'm not taking a moment to really be honest, mm. which has been hard. And I have a boyfriend now that will prod me and he'll be hard. like, it's so hot. Yeah. He's like, you're lying. <laughs> like, well, he's like, I have you? a liar in front he's of me. Like, Can we get a clean up on liar? <laughs> yeah, he's like, what do you actually want yeah. to do? Why are you deciding on doing that thing for the other person? What do you actually want to do? Instead of having the mirror above me, I've got kind of his voice in my yeah. head. <laughs> but it's also why, I mean, for me and I talk about it a lot, this value of building your circle, building a community properly so they can reflect at you the behaviours that you also want to mirror back mm-hmm. outwards. You know, it's hard to know conceptually how to choose for yourself self but suddenly when all your friends do it with ease you're like okay I get it like she still cares about me and we're still going to lunch next week when I feel better and when she feels better got it it makes sense it's the kitchen cabinet that you need you Mm. choose who's going to be in your like essential pantry you're my olive oil you're my soy sauce I only need like four different things and you know that's all you need you know (laughs) which would you use I'm your oil yeah who am I to you in the kitchen. Wait, what's the pa- what's the pantry mm. essential? Oh, we're elemental to each other. Salt and pepper. <gasps> oh, she's good. That yep. is good. She's good. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> she's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Good, good work. <laughs> that was really good. Well, Linda, it's been such a pleasure chatting to you as always. You can find Linda's book Love Languages anywhere where you get good books and. The second series of oh, your yes. podcast. Tell, tell us, us about that. Tell us. Yes, yes. So um, in 2021, I did the first season of a podcast that, uh, as you, Frooms, mm-hmm. uh, so delightfully described it as very rich in sound. Yes. Um, a podcast correct. called Tough Love. We left it on quite a stressful cliffhanger. Um, I get people asking me, you know, what happened after that? Stress did, them did, out. You know, did did they or didn't they? What ended up happening? The second season is coming out June 20 and there's drama galore for Thank the cool goodness. girls. Love it, cool girls. <laughs> cool oh. girls unite. Yeah. <laughs> Break them down, they <laughs> suck. You've been listening to the Flex and Froom's daily podcast. For more, tune in to Cater on DAB or stream it on iHeartRadio.